0: This didn't happen by chance this morning. God had been, been preparing me for probably a month and a half, maybe two months, and uh, it wasn't wasn't that particular. Thank you. I, I have a hard enough time seeing that was going to be difficult. Um, <clears throat> I have to thank my wife for her testimony. Every morning, sitting across from me as I prepare to go to work, she finds time for her devotions. That was easy when I was in school, because when you get there at 4 o'clock, there's not a whole lot of people around to bother you. You could take time. That's not how it is now, and I've incur- I've been encouraged by our elders. We have some pretty intimate discussions. So, Jim, how can we be praying for you? Pray that my daily devotion time would be more consistent. So, for the past month, that's the questions the elders ask me. So, how's it going? Better, better yet, I just wanna share with you that from my daily reading, this became the topic. And it's encouraging because uh, my daily devotion covers about 4 days it's a morning it's a morning read and a evening read and the morning read connects with each morning and the evening read connects with each evening and it may run for 4 or 5 days straight and what a blessing to unearth this story and we want to look at it today um In its entirety. I shared with the men, I said, I really want to talk about the words consider. Consider consider what? That's exactly what the word means. Here's something that could be important. So as a listener, consider what is going to be shared today. Jesus used it almost along the same lines. He who has ears, let him hear. Hey, there's something important here that you have to invest. And so I ask you to do that this morning as we look at this word. And because... Jesus uses this parable, this narrative of the Good Samaritan. A number of my Bible classes that I used to share with a junior high, and sometimes right in the middle of my science classes, we stopped. And I shared truth. And sometimes we had to go back, especially in the Bible class, to kind of get a foothold As to what it must be like in Israel, and maybe back even at that time. So I was impressed by Ray Vanderland's series. Anybody familiar with that? That the world may know. Faith lessons. It's great. He puts you right into the scene, and you get to walk with him as he describes the apparent lesson that is to be taught. And I'm moved every time I refer to those little videos. He always introduces the topic, and then when he gets excited, and he's got the passion to go, he says, hey. Come with me. Let's go see. So I want you to take that mentality too this morning as we kick the dust off, as we do a number of things. See that God is speaking to you. The gist of my presentation is the question that everyone Ought to ask. Should ask. Because it's the question that is closest to finality. The end. And we see that question presented by the lawyer. The scribe in verse 25. But I want to go back. I want to go back to verse 21. At that very time, he, meaning Christ, rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said this, I praise you, O Father of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father for this is well-pleasing in your sight. What's he making reference to? Go back up just a little higher. Verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions all over the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven." Jesus had just been sharing, and many of the times, even in a corporate setting or in a bigger setting, the stage or the evangelistic presentation delivers the word and then encourages the listener to respond. So true is what's taken place here. But in many cases, even if you back up a little further, rejection from the word was common. Few would receive, many would be turned away. And so Jesus is rejoicing that there's some. There's some. We ought to rejoice the same way. And the lesson is, not everyone, not everyone will respond as you deliver the Word of God to that person. But you are faithful. You are the planter, the seed planter. So never forget your role in that. So we see that in the pretext. And notice he talks about there's hidden things that uh, you have been hidden but have been made known to you. Um, it says, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Turn over with me to First uh, Peter. First Peter. Peter's encouraging those that are being tested, that are being, uh, are coming under persecution. But he says this in verse six. In this greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the continuation. And though you have not seen him, You love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Notice, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you, Through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. That's the reference. That's what's going on. And so if we go back to our text Jesus is excited. He's rejoicing that there have been those who have understood salvation, and even now for the apostles. So there's kind of the pretext. And so the question is, again, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked two questions to follow up. And he says this, What is written in the law? And then second, how does it read to you? Well, we'd probably have to go back and understand a little bit about the background of this lawyer. As with any Jew, with any scribe, with any Pharisee, with any priest, if you go back to Deuteronomy 6, We see the very same thing that the lawyer, the scribe, repeats in verse 27. He answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. We go back to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. We see... We see the first commandment. And then notice the semicolon that says, and your neighbor as yourself. Christ refers to that as the most important commandments, both of them. And we see that get connected in Leviticus 18, verses 17 and 18, for your reference, if you want to go there. But that's what he answered The practice, the practice of the Jews. This is the Shema. It was repeated twice a day. It would be like you and I going back to school. I remember first day going into, I don't remember kindergarten, because we had nap time. A lot of things went by the wayside. But I remember, I think, I'm sure for certain, from my first grade teacher, Mrs. Miller, to my second grade teacher, Mrs. Newhausen, third, third grade teacher, who was her? Fourth grade teacher was Ms. Cunningham, fifth grade Mr. Powell, sixth grade Mrs. Ju- Julio. First thing we did, what was the first thing you guys did when you went to school? I pledge allegiance. That's what these people did twice a day. That very verse. It wasn't hard, probably, for the lawyer, the scribe, or anyone from a Jewish background to be able to quote that, recite it. That's what it means. How does it read to you? It's more like a recitation. Notice what Jesus says here. You have answered correctly. You have answered correctly. Turn over to Mark, or back to Mark, I should say. Mark chapter 12, verses 28. says, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well and asked him, what commandment is foremost of all? And Jesus responds in verse 29, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Some have argued that when the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, you might be looking at two different directions. But because the pretext before talks about salvation and the excitement of seeing one come to Christ, I don't think it's by habit the way in which the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to entangle Christ I would take a second approach. I would listen to that lawyer as he contemplates eternity. Now their belief, remember, they've been given all the promise God was going to make them a kingdom, and yet the question is, so what happens after death? even for those Jewish saints and whatnot. God's going to restore the kingdom. But what does that look like? I think the question is the same question any of you and I would be asked. So this leads me to, to pause for a moment. And my question or one of the takeaways is I'm working through this material because guess what? I get to interact too. So Jim, how would you answer that question? If it was asked, someone asked me, how would I answer that? Could you? We've just spent... What? May, June, July. Three months. I'm going through what is the gospel and the equipping hour. And all the aspects that are tied with the gospel. It is the good news. What is the good of the good news? There's plenty of it. But the question is, how would you answer that question? As Jesus was asked of that question. So I share this. I shared with Tony this morning, I have to put my reading schedule on the front. You know why? I see it. Guess what, if it's taped right here, it becomes another book sitting on the table. Oh, wait a minute, listen, if I can't answer that question, if we can't make it a point in meeting the needs or the needs of people that have concerns about eternity, Think of the missed opportunities. I would encourage you, people, if evangelism is difficult or sharing your faith is difficult, come join us in September as Chris will run us through that book. That's an encouragement. And, Julie, we still have books. Take note of that. Evangelism. So Jesus is here in the process of sharing. Hey, where else have we heard that question? Where else have we heard that question? What about uh, the rich young ruler? He asked the same question. And Jesus systematically took him through The law, the Ten Commandments. We got down to (coughs) the rule says, I've done it all. And Jesus says, I have this one thing. Need to sell all you have and follow me. We don't know much more about the ruler other than the fact that he did not. He did not relinquish. A sad story. As is this one, or at least to the point where we don't know. But faithfully, Jesus dealt with the question Of the rich young ruler. He's dealing with the question here that this scribe is certainly asking what is required? It's a tremendous question. It's an opportunity for you to respond, to be able to give a defense for the hope that is within you and I. People, do you realize that's really our commission? to share the Word of God. Antenna's up, looking for that opportune time. One of the gals, before I left yesterday, she goes, so what are you going to do tomorrow? (laughs) I said, I get to preach tomorrow. (laughs) Preach. Preach. I'm preaching from Luke 10. Oh, I... We don't use Bibles at our church. I mean, I won't identify. That was her comment. So today, as I'm leaving Safeway, I just want to let you know I... I'm okay. <clears throat> as I'm leaving Safeway, and I'm going out the exit, and I make my turn. As I'm here's that same gal waving at me, going to work. It's disheartening that uh, <clears throat> we have put substitutes in the place of being in the house of worship. Thank you for not forsaking this morning our assembling together. God will redeem this time. So here we are. Notice <clears throat> as we uh, we get down to verse uh, 29 he says this. But wishing to what? In my text it says justify himself. This is the lawyer speaking. This is the scribe who's speaking. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? I hope you caught it. Because the law that was given to the nation of Israel was really their identification of their own sin in their life. There is nothing, absolutely nothing man can do to justify himself before a holy, jealous, and righteous. God. Look at this. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test. He says, Teacher, he doesn't even know this is the Savior of the world. Teacher, if you go to, if you go to uh, John 3, Nicodemus, it's rabbi. They don't know who Jesus is. I find it interesting here that uh, <clears throat> the lawyer asks, listen to this, He asks the right question. Not only that, he asks the right person. And better than that, he's given the right answer. It's Jesus. So Jesus uses a parable. Now, understand there's only two people in this whole story. It's the lawyer and Jesus. But he gives us a story. And when you look at the story, I reflect back, and Julie, you might be able to validate this. We used to go to a national convention, and one of the speakers there was David Gibbs, Jr., or Senior. David Gibbs Sr. isn't important to you people, but he's the founder of Christian Law Association. Carol, I think you probably still have him as a retainer for the Christian school. Uh, Julie, we have them on guard here uh, to defend our rights in a sick world. And I remember David Gibbs was asked, To share. And he was sharing before a church. And he shared this story. Much like Jesus is going to share this story. He said there was some commotion in the back of the sanctuary as I'm delivering the message. And it caught my attention. And so I watched as two people we're helping this young man come forward. And David shared that, you know, I just figured he would find a, an easy place to sit down. So David continued, but he was distracted. And he said those two gentlemen brought that young man right there, first row, just inside. And he looked at him, coming to find out that this boy was raised by his father, who was a drunkard. And when his father would come home, he would just beat this child. Beat him so bad that he couldn't leave the house. And over the years, from the injuries that he sustained and healed on his own, he was left in a condition that made him literally function less. I wouldn't do justice to share what David shared as far as his contortions, but that's what he used the term. This young fellow was contorted in every direction because there was no healing given. David went on as he shared from the word and he would, he's right here, he, every time he would look up, he would catch this young boy's structure. And then he noticed that the young boy was doing this. Is he motioning to me? So, David, in the, in the midst of a sermon, went down, got as close to the boy as he could possibly get. And the boy uttered some words and David couldn't hear them, so he got closer. He leaned in. The young boy said, do you know my Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? David kind of kicked back. He was, like, I'm preaching. Of course I know Jesus. That's what he was thinking in his mind. Wow. When was the last time someone, even those closest to you, asked you, do you know my Jesus? See, without knowing Jesus, notice what he says here. Uh, he, He believes. He believes, but his belief is external. There's nothing that is internal here. This is a recitation. I would caution you as well. It's easy to believe. It's got to go farther than that. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Familiar passage. Ephesians 2. This young man was so concerned about David and his salvation that he did everything possible to make sure that he communicated that with him. Wow. Wow. I suspect there's some in here, me included, that have family members, that have family members that you've never challenged with that question, with that question. If you haven't challenged them with that question, then their question is, what should I do to to inherit eternal life? Listen, people, we have eternal life. Outside the dimension and this dispensation of grace and this time since creation until Christ returns, eternity is past and eternity is future. And we're in this little bubble, but time is still there. The question isn't, how do I get eternal life? Which eternal life do you get? One that has a reserved position for you in heaven with Jesus? Or do you have the eternal damnation and wrath of God? In hell. Eternal. Eternity. That's the question. So I ask, when was the last time you had confronted anyone in your family? So who is Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, how is the Holy Spirit that was given to us working in your life? See, all of a sudden now the question comes back, and we get to play with the question. Well, let's go on. Let's go on. It says here in the parable, it says this a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 15 miles. And the direction in which he's going, going downhill. It's about a 3,500-foot drop in elevation to make that trek. So imagine yourself as Ray Vanderlyn would take us on this journey. To be walking down this road going down, I'll tell you, at my age right now, I'd be rolling down. It's between some Rock quarries, and and that's where the robbers hang out. It doesn't describe how the robber and how this man came together, but let's read it. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. He encountered, stumbled, went to the ground, robbers came out. He says, notice what happened. They took advantage, they stripped him, they beat him, and then went away, back into their rock quarries, their caves, leaving him half dead. That's the picture. And now we have some players. Verse 31, and by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. A Levite, verse 32, also when he came to a place and saw him, passed on the other side. Verse 33, some of the greatest words in Scripture is the word but. Love it. I don't know about you and your study, but that causes me to stop. But what? what? Look what happens. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt Compassion. So let's picture this. Let's picture the first two. Probably well-renowned instructors of the law. And yet in both cases, these two gentlemen showed no compassion, showed no mercy, went out of their way To catch the shoulder of the road, maybe. To get around this injured individual. Provided no aid. Doesn't even say they stopped. Wow. I hope that's not you and I when we come across a situation. That bears attention. So both. Both the followers of the law, those that you had expected to respond, didn't. And then here it is, a Samaritan, of whom the Jews and likewise, they're in conflict. They're in conflict. Think of this. Think of the alternative to this story. Why didn't the Samaritan just end it all for this guy? Could have. hated each other. But no. He was on a journey. As we find out, he has a beast. He has... Something either he's riding on or the beast is loaded with his belongings as he's making this trip. That's the picture. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds. I don't know about you, but I don't... I don't travel with a first aid kit. And I suppose the Samaritan didn't either. Remember, this is a parable. But I do know for a fact that if he's on a journey, he probably has more than one piece of clothing. He's on a journey. And as we find out, his journey doesn't end with the innkeeper. He has business to take care of, but he stops and he bandages this victim, presupposing he's using his own clothing for wraps and ties and probably not real easy to get into. Not only that, he he was carrying some oils. And he used at his own expense some of these oils to soothe the injury and some of that probably to lessen the pain, soften the tissues. He said, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I've seen enough westerns to know what it looks like to throw someone on, a beast of burden, to get him from one place to the next and lay him across. And I suspect that's exactly the picture. Still had his equipment that he's on his journey with, but can you picture that? And they make the trip all the way to the inn. And then notice, he took care of him. It didn't stop on the road, it didn't stop at the inn. Look, he spent a whole night there. With this young man or this, this, this individual. And on top of that, notice verse 35 on the next day, he took out two denarii. That's significant. Two denarii would have taken care of this guy probably from three weeks to two months. Wow. Up and beyond. And not only that, look what else. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Hey, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay. I don't know anything about the innkeeper. Doesn't really say that he might have taken advantage, but that I just know how depraved man is. It's like giving him a blank check to take care of this, 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 this guy. And on top of that, when I come back, I, whatever else you need, as you took care of him, I will repay. Wow. Wow. So Jesus sums it up. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. We haven't gotten too far away from Chris's preaching schedule in Matthew. So let's go back to Matthew 5 for just one moment. And then we'll wrap this up. <clears throat> I want to focus on verses 7 and 8. As Jesus is sharing this. Verse seven Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Two characteristics of the Good Samaritan. But yet, little is known, little is known as to the outcome of the lawyer. We know he tried to justify himself, as would anyone under the law, but there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Know me, and as you know me, love one another. Who are my others, my one another's? Who's your neighbor? Ooh, powerful, powerful. I have much more, but I want to conclude here. Again, like I said, he who has ears, let him hear. Consider this. Consider what we've looked at. Here's some takeaways. Things to consider. One, Scripture provides all we need to know for salvation. How are we using this bountiful Provision. It's not just salvation, but then the sanctifying work that follows. We know in James' account, faith without works is dead. Ephesians 2 and 9, matter of fact, if you go down to verse 10, we are created in his workmanship unto good works. Doesn't stop with just belief. Fruit, as we have come across those that bear good fruit and those that are not. Number two, clear knowledge in the head, I believe, when accompanied by determined impetence of an impenitent heart is a most dangerous state of the soul. There needs to be a circumcision, a change of the heart. And for all intents and purposes, we don't see that there. We don't see it in the young ruler that asked the same questions. Our Lord blesses doing Not knowing. You can have all the knowledge. You can recite. But if it hasn't changed your life, it hasn't motivated or pricked your heart for a a passion for the lost, beware. Number three, how equipped are you to answer the question? Question. Number four, Christians are sometimes criticized for being heavenly minded. And in that mind, they are of no earthly benefit. The heavenly mindedness is, however, very much involved in the needs of this world. Two perspectives. We can get caught up and lose focus or knowing we can focus. How are you doing? I have to admit, when I worked my way through this, what a tremendous, unrevealing truth that I had never seen and never been challenged with. And again, again, Notice, it's Jesus who's sharing the the way, the gospel. And yet, even on a one-and-one mentoring, just like we saw at the beginning of our read, people rejected. And we see that here. That doesn't mean to lose heart in sharing, just as much as I wanted to share with my young lady yesterday. She needs to come to grips with that question. How do I, and better yet, the question, and you've heard Bruce use it as, as he was ministered to before He came to know Christ. What would you do if you died today and you were standing before Jesus? Remember, Bruce? Here's my list. Doesn't do it. There's a transformation that takes place, a reconciliation that needs to take place, a recognition that you are a sinner and you're bound for hell. But there's hope. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ, the blood. He became our righteousness and our unrighteousness was imputed on him and he went to the cross to do that work for you and I. And because of that, he sent the helper, the comforter, the paraclete, so that we'd have the power to overcome the things of this world. Oh, we're not perfect. And we're not finished growing. That's what sanctification is. But we have the resource. I pray that we use it in even a greater way as we leave today. Things to consider. A question that needs answering. Every one that is on the face of this earth That is the question. How do I get eternal life if I don't have it? Better yet, where are you going to spend eternity and on what basis? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the illustration. Thank you for your faithfulness in wanting to see hearts change. And even in this case, Lord, it must be grievous. And it must be grievous for even us as we Try to remain faithful in sharing the gospel. But let us not lose heart. For even as we began this morning, you were rejoicing in those that entrusted themselves to you. Thank you for that picture. That as long as you have us here, we are to go make disciples, teaching them all the things that you have taught them. And as a result, if they come to know you, then baptism, that they might follow and be testimonies, to be faithful ambassadors, to be examples of the work that you have done in their life, to bear fruit. Jesus, we pray that as you continue your work here, before you return, that we would be faithful, that we would not be like this lawyer wrapped up in in himself, trying to justify a way to heaven, May our dependence be on you and not ourselves. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would identify where we're weak, make us strong. Where we're short of coming, teach us and move us in a direction that we would be fruitful to those that we come in contact with. We ask this as a blessing to you, that uh, you would just continue to complete your work in us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And in your name we pray these things. Amen.